Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Offset Beer is a pretty small brewery. It is quite new, but it has already established itself as being the best brewery in Park City, Utah. And so when you're talking about a global destination like Park City, that's no small thing. So I headed to Park City to visit Offset Beer and sit down with its co-founder, Connor Brown, who happens to have an extensive background in the ski and outdoor industry. And one of the things that I have known about Connor for years is that this dude does not mess around when it comes to the details of brewing beer well. Now, having said that, I was still surprised just how quickly Offset Beer has established a reputation for itself among the most discerning beer drinkers. And so, yeah, I wanted to go see for myself and catch up with Connor about, well, a number of things, including making beer in a state with rather strict and confusing alcohol laws, how he went from brewing beer at home to deciding to take the leap and open up a brewery. We also talk about Offset's no flights policy, and you'll get to hear what Connor has against flights. And throughout our conversation, Connor and I are also sampling a number of Offset offerings. And to be honest, that is really just a sampling of some of the things that we're talking about and doing in this conversation. But go ahead and give this conversation a listen. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And then the next time you are headed to the Salt Lake City area or Park City, do yourself a favor and stop in at Offset. And so now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Connor Brown. And while you're listening, you probably ought to go ahead and check out their website. That is Offset Beer, beer spelled B-I-E-E-R, offsetbeer.com. Here we go. Well, I am very happy to be here in Park City, Utah at Offset Beer with Connor Brown. Connor, first important question. What are we currently drinking here? Uh, we're drinking a single hop pale ale with amazing, hard to get uh, exotic hop called Rawaka from New Zealand. Now, say more about the style of beer because then I'm going to ask you the question. So, like, why are we doing this with the hop from New Zealand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, this is our, we have kind of a, a series of single hop pale ales that we do. A lot of hops from New Zealand, actually. Um, They're meant to be just like kind of light, crushable, dry beers that just really showcase kind of the nuances of of specific hops and especially hops that uh, we are really interested in that um, we think are unique that a lot of other, maybe a lot of other breweries around here aren't actually using um, with the goal of, yeah, trying to create a different experience for people um, when they come to the brewery, maybe using different hops than maybe they've experienced before. And I think a lot of times with these single hop beers, it's a good way to kind of educate. I think educate's the right word, but because it, it, we don't want to come off the wrong way, but to kind of open people's eyes to yeah. to the power of hops and how different they can be, and how it's really the arguably the the, the coolest tool we have in our toolbox when it mm-hmm. comes to creating beer 
um, because it's amazing how many different flavors and aromas and you can create with hops. Um, and Rewaka is a great example of something that's incredibly unique, incredibly different, really, yeah, exemplifies the terroir of New Zealand mm-hmm. and what that can add to a, to a hop that's grown there. So, This is probably the part where we should talk about, well, kind of your history and a bit of our history. So I think I've known you since 2012. And it was the ski industry that I guess sort of initially brought us together. Mm -hmm. Um, Blister was still a relatively new entity at this point. And you and I got talking. Well, and maybe I just let you take it from here. Uh, Why did we get talking and talk about sort of another thing that is a pretty big part of your life other than beer? Yeah, I mean, I've I've worked for Technica for 23 years. It's the only job I've ever had as an adult. (laughs) Literally the day I graduated from college, I um, drove out to Mount Hood to, yeah, work work, uh, for Technica. So, yeah, it's kind of all, all I've ever known. And, yeah, we met talking about Blizzard skis, like a new line of skis that we were launching that have turned out to be pretty iconic um, skis in the ski industry and uh, yeah kind of grown from there so um, yeah it's I've been in the ski industry still continue to yep. be in the ski industry still still continue to work for Technica and Blizzard but yeah started this project uh, we opened a little over 10 months ago but started this project really in all reality two or three years ago so yeah, yeah. and I remember I mean when we would talk or I'd see you at Outdoor Retailer years ago you would say things like if you ever start, you know, reviewing beer or something, let me know. I'd be happy to get in on that because <laughs> I'm like a real beer dork. Yeah, totally. And yeah. so I've known about this side of you like for about a decade. Mm-hmm. And so this has been really interesting to see you now open and be running a brewery. So let's talk, first of all, why the name Offset? Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, trying to come up with a name, uh, for this brand and I kind of didn't want to do maybe the low hanging fruit of just naming it after the town or the Mm -hmm. ski lift or the, the ski run or the stream or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It just like, wasn't that interesting to me. Um, and this name, this word just kind of stuck out at me, um, as a word that it it has a lot of depth. It has a lot of different meanings. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that, you know, there's kind of like layers to the onion, like you can peel back more and more and more. And we, we kind of try and hit you with different, different meanings of offset or different, it, it, yeah, it has a lot of different levels essentially. So I really enjoyed the word. Um, and really the, you know, the first touch point is I think from a brand perspective, like if you walk into the place or you see our, our logo or our, maybe our can art or whatever, it's a little off, little offset from normal. It's not necessarily so far out in left field, but um, it, it looks a little different. It's meant to be unique. Um, we're a little, we're not on Main Street here in Park City. We're a little offset from Main <laughs> Street. Yeah, and, and but also at the same time, like we, when I was coming up with this brand, I was ho- um, homebrewing like a madman, hundreds of batches of beer a year. I had eight beers on tap at my house and was just trying to, it was just kind of looking at what I was doing and realizing that, you know, we I'm essentially manufacturing a drug alcohol you know is it's a great thing and it can in moderation is 
it has a lot of positive benefits, but obviously in excess, it can be, you know, there can be some serious negative aspects to both mental and physical health. And yeah, I just thought that I, I remember hearing an interview with one of my favorite brewers or someone that I really respected and just talking about like alcoholism and about how no one in the brewing industry talks about that mm. and how it's it's prevalent and it's something that should be brought up and just the Im- impact that that had on me. And so, yeah, when I was thinking of this brand, I'm like, I, you know, I really want to be kind of transparent with our customer about we do know that um, we are manufacturing something that could inherently be bad for you. So offset really has to do with a lot of kind of offsetting the potential negative side effects of the product that we make. Um, so we, Organize a bunch of group activities. Yeah. So we have uh, ladies right now. We have uh, a ladies bike ride on Tuesday nights. We have run club on Wednesday nights. We have another um, Thursday night rides, basically mountain bike ride that we do on Thursday nights. Um, we donate a bunch of money to the a couple of nonprofits here in town that really help facilitate all these amazing outdoor activities that we have. Mountain mm-hmm. Trails Foundation um, being one of them, who builds a lot of the trails and really. It, it facilitates all the amazing and so many of the amazing outdoor experiences we have here. Hmm. Um, we, we donated a bunch of money in November to Summit County mental wellness Alliance. So really trying to, yeah, just do what we can to knowing that we, yeah, we inherently do make something that could, could potentially be bad for you to so try and kind of offset what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's an environmental aspect to it as well. Like every, every decision we make is thinking about what impact does this have on the environment, our community, um, yeah, everything. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit too about some of the winter activities. You talked about kind of the, I think, yeah, current is, yeah, spring, summer. springtime, summer, but yeah. So in the wintertime we have, um, we still continue the run club. We, we run all winter long, but then, uh, we do, we're fortunate here at Park City. They allow us to skin up the resort, uh, after hours. So, we would all meet at like six o'clock at the bottom of the first time lift and skin up the kind of designated route uh, into the, what's called the, the old gondola station. Um, and yeah, meet it, you know, we would, all abilities are welcome. Um, no one's racing up there by any means. It's a very communal kind of event, but then yeah, we all kind of ski back down and then come back here to the brewery and I buy everybody pizza um, and people have a couple beers and it, it was really cool to see, um, all sorts of different people that maybe never would have met each other, that never would have, um, run across each other's paths that, that met on, on those evenings that we did. And to see those friendships where you see, you know, months later, maybe not on a night of skinning that those people are coming into the brewery afterwards and they've made a connection, um, on, and, you know, on a night that we offered this activity, which is, which is cool. I mean, trying to, I think trying to do things for this community and create a space for the community here where people can, can interact and meet new like-minded people. And, um, just really, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been really rewarding at the same time as obviously trying to do the right thing and, and organize these activities, but also just really offering a space for the community for people to come and gather and, and, and have conversation and meet new, new like-minded people. So, Mm. well, I, kind of love that component of what you're up to with the brand. And just to be clear, and you and I were talking about this earlier. I mean, I think part of my interest in starting this whole Blister Craft Collective and this crafted podcast is that it feels 
like a really natural kind of, I don't know, some something of an evolution and development in my own life where I do really love the craft of all of these different sort of product categories. And I think like so many people in the blister audience, like we, you know, there's so much stuff out there, right? And so I think really figuring out who on earth is out there with clear principles and a clear philosophy and, you know, doing their best to do things sort of quote unquote the right way, however they see that and sort of giving people a chance to spell that out in fact. So I want to hear you talk a little bit about when you first really started getting into beer. I'm less interested maybe if you were like, I used to take out a cheap 12 pack, you know, in high school or something like that. But like when beer sort of became this, I don't know, a bit of an art form or just a product where you wanted to really start digging into the details, like how is this stuff made? Um, was that a long time ago? Um, yeah, it's, it's actually interesting. I, you know, I grew up in Vermont where um, I like to say Vermont is one of the more artisanal places, mm-hmm. uh, states in the country. And, and we, you know, growing up, you know, end of high school, whatever, college, craft beer was just, it was everywhere. It was just kind of ubiquitous. Like it wasn't, that's just kind of, I think, what we what we drank because it was also really readily available and maybe it wasn't as expensive. But I think that there was just this, yeah, idea of like just trying to find stuff that was better. I guess I never really was, never was just, you know, downing 12 packs of old Milwaukee. Like uh-huh. it was kind of always looking for a little bit better beer, you know, uh-huh. and I think it's just because it's what we were exposed to at a younger age in Vermont. And yeah, always was always drinking craft beer, but never really thought twice about m- manufacturing it or thinking about even making it like it was even a possibility. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think one day for some odd reason, I don't even know why, just kind of discovered that there was all these resources out there on the internet and via podcasts of, of you know, really all this knowledge that was available on making beer. And uh, yeah, it's all downhill after that. Um, so give me a year ish. 2016. 2016. Yep. 2016 yep. for me was when I started home brewing. Um, and I'd never, uh, it was fascinating to me. I'd never wanted to pursue knowledge, I think, ever in my life um, that <laughs> I, much. I believe you. Yeah. And to sit down and read textbooks, um, I really was very obsessed with the um, really detailed like science behind everything and really kind of jumped into the deep end and, um, essentially it was fortunate at an older age that I had a little bit more disposable income and, and could afford some of the things that essentially allowed me to almost replicate what we do here at the brewery at, um, at home. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think very early on, I was like, man, this is really interesting. I had a desire to create a brand like brand, you know, marketing was always interesting to me. I'd, I'd wanted to kind of create my own brand and I thought that that was a possibility. So very early on, I kind of took it pretty seriously as far as like, okay, if I want to do this, I don't just want to make, I want to make the, the best beer that I possibly can. I want to make stuff that is unique, that has identity. Um, and yeah, it was all uh, completely and solely focused on that. Um, yeah, pretty quickly after just starting essentially knew that that kind of is, would be a cool avenue to, to start a brand, but also just was obsessed with, trying to find the end of the rabbit hole as yeah. you say of just trying to pursue knowledge and find out more inform as much information as i possibly could so what 
styles were you kind of just personally drawn to when you were just a home brewer? No thought at all of eventually starting Offset. Yeah, hoppy beer for sure. I mean, I think for a lot of people, when you start out home brewing, like especially in the last six, seven years, yeah. like hoppy beer is what's, there's just been so much development and so much progress and work um, put into into hoppy beer. And so that's definitely what I brewed a lot of, but also was brewing a lot of mixed fermentation, uh, long-term age sour beer, um, wild beers, and then eventually uh, really started to focus on brewing lager beer as well, which didn't really think I could at home, but then more and more and more research and um, it was a possibility. So it kind of went down that rabbit hole, but yeah. Did you get into lagers because lagers are, correct me if I'm wrong, but often regarded as like, if you really want to figure out what kind of chops a brewer has, let's check out the lager or a Pilsner. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, um, they are the hardest beers to make um, because there's nowhere for anything to hide. Uh-huh. If you screw something up, it's blatantly obvious. So if you consider yourself a good brewer, you really should be able to make, to execute lager beer um, really well. So yeah, I, I think I looked at it as a, yeah, something that is like, if I'm going to be a good brewer, I need to be able to do this and need to be able to make these. Um, and it actually, it, it, to be honest, it made brewing lager beer made all of the beers that I was making uh, considerably better. It just that, that additional attention to detail and meticulousness that is required um, really. And here at the brewery, there's a lot of things that we do to even our hoppy beers that are stem from actually brewing lager beer. Huh. So, yeah. Care to share with us? When you say certain elements of trying to really refine your lager has now influenced how you're brewing hoppy beers. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like certain things that we do, uh, especially when it comes to like um, the 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 mash, essentially, like how we step we step mash every beer here, which is much more common in lager beer production not as much in hoppy or ale beer production but there are certain aspects to step mashing that we feel help especially our little five percent hoppy beers that help to give the beers a little bit more body they help to add better foam better head retention they they really make the whole drinking experience um that much better i mean there's there's a few other other small little details but i would say that had the the biggest effect on I think the hoppy beer we make and how we think about making hoppy beer is is this idea of, you know, when you're when you're making a little mini lager beer, you know, small five percent, sub five percent lager beer. Um, there's a there's a lot that goes. It's such a simple beer that there's a lot that goes into making something that is refined that is going to stand out as like a really enjoyable drinking experience. And I think a lot of that still applies to the f- little 5% hoppy beers that we make. Um, and it allows us, I think to, to, yeah, to create a beer that I think is a, is a better overall drinking experience. I mean, there's a lot of things we, we think about texture a lot. And oftentimes when, when people don't, maybe the average beer drinker maybe doesn't have the vocabulary or the, the lexicon to describe what they're experiencing. And I always noticed this when I was homebrewing, I would just I'd hand people beer and be like, I don't care if you like it. Or you don't tell me why mm-hmm. I just want to know why. And so often when people maybe don't know beer really well, or don't maybe aren't just aren't nerds about craft beer is the perception of smoothness is something is something smooth. Is it easy to drink? 
you know and that's oftentimes what what I would what I would find would be if something was an enjoyable to someone like literally the, the literally the act of consuming it was enjoyable then people liked the beer and so we really spent a lot of time thinking about texture how the beer goes literally through your mouth essentially across your palate and and how that affects your decision making and how that affects essentially if you enjoy something or you don't enjoy something Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting to yeah there's all these kind of tiny little these little levers that we can pull to to manipulate that a little bit and really we focus on lots of texture lots of flavor when the the beer hits your the front of your palate and then as it goes across your palate and then essentially as it leaves your palate it almost leaves you with nothing essentially you're you're left with with essentially nothing at the end of your palate, which essentially invites the next sip. It makes you want to take another drink. Whereas oftentimes with beers that leave you with something lingering in the back of your throat at the end of your palate, it just doesn't invite the next sip. It's not necessarily an enjoyable drinking experience. So we really spend a lot of time thinking about literally the act of consumption of actually consuming the beer and has it as what the beer feels like as it goes across your palate. And I think it really has an effect on if somebody enjoys something or not, if they really, if they like something or they don't like it, um, if it is a, if it's pleasurable and easy to drink and leaves you with that kind of like, doesn't leave you with anything that lingers, it, it invites the next sip. It makes you want to take another drink, which I think is really important. Hmm. A question that I think comes up a lot in like the craft world, almost regardless of what kind of product we're talking about, is this sort of, I don't know, spectrum or question of accessibility, approachability on the one hand, and what, how would you f- present the other end of that spectrum? So accessibility, approachability on the one hand, and what? Um, uh, art, complexity... Uh, a classically designed product, what, what would you fill in to be sort of the opposite of approachability and accessibility? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think craft, especially beer, you know, it's craft beer. You can kind of look over the last 10 years and, and there's so many extremes that have existed. Um, you know, they talk about the IBU race and yeah. how everyone for so yeah. long was just trying to make everything so Pumped bitter. Up. Yeah. And then everything was about making it so sour. And yeah. now you have the extremes are how much fruit can yep. you add to a beer? How thick yep. you can make a, a barrel-aged stout? How many flavors, how many things you can add to a beer? And um, th- while that's all interesting and it's definitely popular and there's plenty of places that do it really well, it's definitely, n- I would say it's really not that interesting to us as much. We definitely focus on... Um, yeah, really kind of the four key ingredients and really trying to build a little bit more complexity and a little bit more, um, I don't know, intrigue or through, through science and through the brewing process and, um, really, yeah, focus on those. We want to make something expressive because this is craft beer. Obviously you need to make something that has an expression that is that stands out but also at the same time doesn't it really doesn't uh, affect negatively the drinkability of the product because really that's what you're going for is trying to make something drinkable i think a lot of times people think drinkable and they think boring a lot of times i think you know uh, brewers use the word or even a lot of people in craft use the word balanced Mm -hmm. and i think um, it's oftentimes the average consumer thinks balance and they think boring, you uh-huh. know what I mean? Like balance just means uh, I'm not going to 
nothing's going to jump out. Nothing's going to jump yeah. out at me. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's the fine line of like, yes, creating balance because you, you want to have balance definitely affects, affects drinkability, but it's the same way of like, how can you be, how can you create a product that is very expressive, but also is very drinkable at the same time. Um, and that I think a lot of times comes down to, yeah, just an elevated understanding of the brewing process and the science that goes behind every little aspect and every tiny little lever that we can pull throughout the whole process to, yeah, to how we think about water, how we think about adjusting our pH to optimize different things throughout the whole process. Um, yeah, all sorts of different stuff. Hmm. So, We should say, by the way, we started this evening drinking your Dopo. Yep. Talk a bit about that beer. Sure. Um, so it's kind of like our, um, I would say our house hoppy beer. It's the one beer that we probably brew the most of. Um, it is a beer that I brewed 40 plus times at home trying to, yeah, figure out a way to make a really expressive, really aromatic, really flavorful hoppy beer, but within the state regulated, you know, uh, ABV restrictions that we have here in Utah, which is 5% on draft. So we're going to get to Utah in a minute here. So keep it going. So we're, uh, we, we call it, we call Dopo, we call it a lie PA. Uh, so if you come here to the brewery, you see that there's an L in front of the IPA. It could stand for light. It could stand for little. We, we tongue in chief, let's call them lie PAs because a 5% IPA is a lie. IPA in all reality needs to start at 6%. Essentially it's like six to seven and a half percent generally is where you would find an IPA. But obviously being in Utah, we have to have 5% beer on draft IPA. Those are the three magic letters that so many people who come into the brewery want an IPA. So I spent a long time with Dopo is trying to figure out ways through the brewing process to make a beer that drinks a lot bigger than its ABV. Um, So it has a little bit more body. It has a little bit more texture. We definitely have an elevated um, kind of, I wouldn't say elevated level of bitterness, but maybe for a traditional 5% beer, it has a little bit more bitterness, but it allows us to add a lot more hops. Like we, we are dry hopping this 5% beer at two and a half to three pounds per barrel, which is a pretty high amount for such a small beer. But through, we've been able to, again, kind of come back to this word balance, which sounds like a negative thing. But if we were just making this beer and adding all this hops, especially with little beers, like it it can seem really out of whack. So we needed to do these kind of extra things to give the beer a little bit more body to be able to support the hopping load essentially. So it's an incredibly aromatic beer. There's tons of hop flavor, um, but it's only 5%. So you think you're drinking a six and a half percent beer, but maybe you can have, you know, one more, an, another one or two more. And it's a great expression of hops. It's, uh, Nelson Sauvin from New Zealand, Mosaic and Simcoe are the three hops that are in it. Um, it really showcases Nelson and, uh, yeah, it's a beer we love that is very unique, very different. And yeah, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on it and people are, um, I think people are really amazed that it is only 5%. Yep. It drinks some more like a six to a six and a half percent beer. Yeah. And it's delicious. Yeah. The second beer we had, we actually talked about at the start of this conversation, mm-hmm. um, the Rewaka. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we covered that. And now we're going to a dark lager. Yeah. Yep. Tell, tell us about this before I make you go pour it. <laughs> yeah. So we, it's a, we, we call it um, Tamave Pivo. So, which is, uh, it's a Czech style dark lager. Tamave is, uh, Tamave Pibo is essentially dark beer in Czech. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a style that's been around. It's the second oldest, uh, beer style brewed in the Czech Republic. It 
but it really is not that well known and it's really only in the last maybe like five or six, seven, maybe five or six years that uh, the style has maybe gained a little bit more popularity in the US. Um, but it's a style we really, really love to make. It has, as it was, as is typical with a lot of Czech lagers, they have a little bit more body to them, a little bit more sweetness. And so they tend to, as far as a beer that, you know, is made with roast malts and has that, a little bit more um, character to it, that a little additional sweetness helps to kind of balance all the roast character. So it's incredibly aromatic, flavorful, but it's still really smooth at the same time. So we don't make too many dark beers here because really it's, it is really hard to make a great 5% dark beer, mm. but we feel like this kind of Czech style dark lager is, it's a great representation of, of a dark beer that's still really easy to drink. So you get a lot of great roast chocolate character. I shouldn't say too much roast, but yeah, a lot of character in a, in a really easy to drink product essentially. Mm. Nice and smooth. Well, now I really want to try one. So cool. can we go get some? Yep, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make you drink a, a full 0.4 liter pour of it because we pour it on this special check faucet that creates this different foam. It's a whole different experience. So yeah, I love this about you. We're gonna talk about how you refuse to serve certain things, and so okay, so we have a 0.4 liter coming yeah, up. Yes, so we only serve we only serve it in this size yep. uh, for for a reason. So. You're really tyrannical, it's, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's. I, I I'm not. That might actually be a compliment in my book. <laughs> Anyone who works with me. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry everybody who works with me. But um, all right, let's try this. Cool. Okay, we now have our dark lagers poured in a 0.4 mm-hmm. liter glass. The only way you will serve this. Let's talk a little bit about you and really being adamant about serving certain things or not serving certain things like flights yeah i mean i think it comes uh down to uh kind of respect for beer and very much almost uh (laughs) respect which is to say everyone who does serve flights connor just said he doesn't think you respect beer so that's good to have that on (laughs) i wouldn't say necessarily just talking about the flights but like how we approach um glassware how we approach the taps that we use how we approach uh yeah i I think especially again it comes kind of harks back to europe a little bit as you you know you go to europe and it's crazy to see all the breweries uh, the specific glassware that they have the specific faucets that they have like there's a lot of attention to detail even if it's like something that's ubiquitous product wise there's a lot of attention to detail especially when it comes to serving the serving the product Mm -hmm. you know like you you go to europe and there's a pour line on every glass. And, and if that, if your beer gets served to you without foam above, you know, to right to the brim above that pour line, it's not a, it's not a well poured beer. You should send it back. Um, the things are, unfortunately, there's a lot of places that are doing that in the U S but you know, there's also a lot of places where you're served beer with almost no foam, you know, poured right to the brim in a really inappropriate glassware that maybe is less breakable for the restaurant, but it actually doesn't do a very good job of presenting the product itself. So yeah, we try and do, uh, a great job of, uh, pouring the beer with the correct amount of head. Uh, we really are obsessed with foam. If you look at the, the lace, you know, the lacing on the glass, like it, it really demonstrates, you know, if you, if you have a beer with great foam and great lacing, it really, it, it's a great way to, to indicate that the brewer gives a fuck 
to be perfectly honest. Yep. Uh, it, they, they care because you have to do all these certain things throughout the process to make sure that the beer has good foam, that the foam lasts, that it creates this lacing on the glass. It, it's a way to, yeah, demonstrate that you care about the product all the way from start to finish. Hmm. Um, and a lot of that comes down to A, the brewing process, but also how the beer is served. So um, we try and we take beer pretty seriously. We try not to take ourselves very seriously here, but we try and take the beer pretty seriously. And yeah, we pour this Czech, this Czech style beer with these uh, faucets from the Czech Republic that are very specific as far as um, creating, yeah, an air, a textural experience, a flavor experience for the beer itself. So, um, yeah. Super drinkable. I honestly wasn't sure what I was going to think of this. <laughs> it just was sort of the more you were talking, I was like, is this going to be kind of too far afield from the like accessibility approachability right. like not at all yeah but it, i think that's it's interesting to people like how much flavor it has yeah. for for five percent i think oftentimes when people especially come to utah and they think oh man five percent beer like it's just going to be watery yep. it's not going to have flavor that's right yeah it's not gonna it's it's yeah it's just not going to be an impactful <laughs> beer and craft beer is all about impact yeah. you know craft beer is all about expression and i think we, we've definitely kind of uh, i think opened people's eyes to like how much flavor um, and aroma we can pack into a 5% beer and how enjoyable the drinking experience can be so, at the same time. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's why I've tended to steer clear of dark lagers or black lagers mm-hmm. is because of exactly that. They just felt a bit kind of too watered down to me. Yep. It's really hard to make 5% dark beer. You know, when when you make a darker beer, you're using darker roasted malts. They're, they're great when they come off well, but they can be ashy they can be astringent they can be harsh they can be coarse and again that doesn't that the drinking experience just isn't it's just not that great you know but when you have this is a great part about these czech style dark lagers is they have that additional sweetness that additional body that helps to balance out that extra roast character so you don't get that like astringent kind of harsh mm. uh you say black lager to people and they th- instantly think Ooh, yeah. yeah i don't know that's yeah. maybe it's going to be a lot, but I think we've really opened people's eyes to like, oh, wow, it's like, it's really drinkable. It's yeah. like, it's has lots going on, but it's really smooth at the same time and, and leaves you with nothing lingering on the back of your palate that invites the next sip, essentially. Let's talk more about being a brewery in Utah, a state with extraordinarily confusing and complicated alcohol laws. So... I think what we do as a public service announcement is just have you sort of set the record straight about like, let's, I want to hear you just talk about this is actually like what is possible in the state of Utah and what isn't. And, Mm. you know, we were talking earlier when I was like, yeah, it's still kind of often gets called like the 3.2 state or the Mm. 3.2 state. Mm -hmm. So let's have you clarify for folks. Yeah. So uh, November of 2019, beer on... So in, yeah, basically beer in Utah on draft up until November of 2019 had to be 4% by volume, which is 3.2% by weight. We're going to go over this one more time because I, I personally was hung up on this a little bit. When you hear 3.2, that actually translates to 4%. Right. What people would normally think of as 4%. Like if you're going to – any beer that you buy that has a, a labeled ABV, it's always ABV – ABV, alcohol by volume, yeah. not ABW, yeah, alcohol yeah. by weight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, for some reason, I think 3.2 was just a, a more shocking number. 
But yeah, November of 2019, we uh, they allowed draft beer to go up to 5%, which definitely changed the game a little bit here in Utah. It's really hard to brew 4% beer, especially a, a, a variety of different 4% beers to serve on draft. There are plenty of breweries that have done it here for a really long time, and they did an amazing job for sure. But it's it definitely... Uh, especially for the cons- the consumer that was visiting from out of state, it was just you know they would come and be like, man, this is this sucks mm-hmm. compared to wherever they were coming from. So yeah, uh, November twenty nineteen went to five percent, and that that you can brew a lot of great beer at five percent uh, for sure. Um, we have we don't have a full liquor license, so we have what's called a tavern license. So you can only drink five percent or below beer here. We do have the ability to package. We do brew beer over 5% and we put it in a can, but you can't consume it here. You can only buy it to go. Mm-hmm. If we had a full liquor license, um, we would be allowed to open those cans for you. We still need to put it in a can and open it for you, but you could drink a 5% beer uh, here on premise. But again, A, we're having to go through the process of canning it, yeah. all that additional waste, yeah. and you're f- essentially forced to drink a larger portion we use 16 ounce cans um so yeah we i I actually don't think we'll maybe we there's a chance we might not ever actually get the full liquor license i really actually love the fact that you have to on premise like you got to drink five percent beer when you're here yes we uh you know we also have some of the toughest uh drinking and driving laws uh same about that in the united states it's well the blood alcohol level is 0.05 here in utah um, 0.05, 0.08, the rest of the country. Yeah. So the fact that uh, you, you can only drink 5% beer here and then if you do you do want to, you know, uh, we make some great IPAs and great higher ABV beers, but take them to go, mm-hmm. drink them at home, mm-hmm. you know, so you're not, you're not out there driving. So, yeah. Hmm. So there's a chance, there's a lot of breweries that have the full liquor license and, and, and do serve the higher ABV beers, which is great. Um, but we kind of like the fact that uh, you just drinking five percent beer here, and honestly, like, we don't deal with too many people that get too shit faced. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't deal with people that. It, I think, from just a liability perspective, uh, as a business owner too, it's it's that probably helps me sleep a little bit better at night. Um, yeah, and I think just again, it comes down to the the social responsibility aspect of what we're trying to do, and be a better, um, you know, partner uh, business for our community and. I think we, there's a chance we might not actually ever serve beer higher than 5% here. So. If I were to talk to a bunch of other brewers, would they agree with you? Do you think about this? It's really hard to make a range of beers that are good at 4%, bump that to 5%, and it really ups your odds for at least, in theory, being able to produce good beer at that 5 Because, And then I'm curious, like, and then if it was like, if Utah came around and it was like, well, now we're going to let you do 6%. Mm. At 6%, it sounds like what you're saying is you, how much more would that expand what's possible? Yeah, I think it definitely would expand uh, the the option for for a few more beers or uh, you'd be able to do a few different things. I mean, alcohol definitely, uh, alcohol carries flavor. Alcohol creates body. Alcohol is sweet. It allows you to do other things. It definitely allows you to create e- more easily, create a more expressive product. Yeah, and I think yeah, we probably there are a few beers that you know we uh, will sir will put in cans that um, definitely are more expressive 
beers and you know we probably have a few dark beers coming up this fall that we're going to make that we really would never make at five percent just because it's almost impossible to do but at six and a half to seven percent um it's a much better overall drinking experience so four percent is is just tough there's just alcohol itself just creates it helps you do a lot of things essentially it it, it's a really an aid when it comes to creating flavor uh additional aroma texture everything um that being said i think we're you know i'd love to actually explore more beers below four percent because i think it it Mm. is an option and i think that's something that is trending a little bit is actually these low you know both na beer but also lower abv beers really cool uh, trend by the way yeah totally i i I used to say like full confession like kick the alcohol level up and i will probably like be more likely to like the beer you know and part of that i think i i do like whiskey and bourbon and so when you start pushing like a high abv there you start getting into that boozier kind Mm -hmm. of flavor but for reasons that you've talked about well in this conversation i'm also by the way like I drink a lot of NA beer mm. because of that Pavlovian response of like, mm. it's 5 p.m. and I still have like seven hours of work. Right. But that, like, to hear the crack of the can. And so I love that we're just getting to see this full range. And if you happen to be at home with a couple of good friends and you're like, all right, let's turn this up, you know, and open something at 11%, great. But like, it's, we say the same thing about ski equipment, by the way. Like, the range of options is getting so good mm-hmm. from NA is better than ever today. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to go back to a world five, ten years ago mm-hmm. on that front. And so I think it's actually really interesting. And I'd love to see more breweries working in that three to four range, mm-hmm. 3% to 4% range. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just this, again, as artists what can you do mm-hmm. yeah. you know make it happen and yeah i mean i think i think uh you know you you definitely have to uh just in when it presenting it to the customer you definitely have to you definitely have to be cognizant and and i think be get a little bit more creative when it comes to those little abv beers but yeah i, I don't know i think it's uh, yeah you've seen the trend in, in na beer uh grow and grow and grow um unfortunately for a brewery our size it's very difficult. There's a lot of technology mm-hmm. involved in creating uh, NA beers. There are some other ways, and we've explored them. And, and yeah, hopefully, it's, I, I hope to be able to make one at some point in time. Mm. Like, I hope to be able to offer one. Um, I think that would be amazing, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, we, we definitely will be exploring some of those, you know, almost sub-4% beers just to see. Because they are hard to make. And if you make them well, it, it, it shows that, that you've got some chops that you can do it. Because they are, the, the, the smaller the beer, the harder it is to make oftentimes Hmm. we were talking earlier and i want to hear you sort of just take this and run in our conversation you were talking about death by a thousand cuts do you recall this portion Mm -hmm. of the conversation yeah yeah, yeah, totally talk about death by a thousand cuts and where you were headed with this um yeah i i think often it's it's the little as with everything you know to skis ski boots likes everything it's it's the the tally of a hundred things you do one percent better Mm. that really has a a much larger impact than maybe doing one thing specifically better it's really the attention to the details and the meticulous 
yeah, the meticulous uh, approach to just tweaking a tiny, a tiny little thing each time. And I don't know. We, I guess we, we just there's just so many, so many tiny, minute details that go into every step of the process, and you have to be, you have to pay attention. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's hard. I mean, I think that 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 is craft a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? That 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 attention to to the details and knowing that making a hundred things 1% better is really what you're striving for. And that, that has a bigger overall impact on the final product. And especially when it comes to trying to make something refined and something that is enjoyable and something that, um, oftentimes something that you don't even need to think about, you know, I think that's, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate compliment. You know, when someone, when you, you, you have two of them before you even really even need to think about it because you just, they were so easy to drink, so easy to consume, you know? So this is really funny, right? On the, like, when we're testing gear, whether it's bikes or ski boots or skis, whatever, we often talk about, like, exceptional gear often just kind of disappears. Yep, 100%. Totally agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the whole idea of, like, oh, it took me four runs to figure out how to ski on something or whatever. Like, in all reality, you should... If, I think if it's done well, it's something that like adapts to you almost, or it, it yeah, it disappears. Like you, you do not need to think about your gear, and it kind of sounds a little weird, but it, I think the same thing with beer a little bit sometimes, especially we like to call beer flavored beer or lager beer, the the really stripped down beers. Like you know, oftentimes you'll have two or three before you even really thought about it, and mm-hmm. which is which is great. You don't need to think about it. It's just mm-hmm. something that uh, it's just enjoyable, uh, easy to consume, and yeah it's it's uh i I think it's the ultimate um maybe the ultimate compliment but the ultimate like test to like how how good you are at at doing something is you can make something that disappears Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean i guess coming back to you that we talked about the the term balance Mm. maybe this is an appropriate way to bring that back in but like this is i'm actually not sure that listeners of this conversation you sound less obsessive in my humble opinion, in this conversation than in conversations that I've had with you in the past. And so like, you're like, oh, you know, like we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we try to take this seriously. Like you, you're, you're pretty maniacal, which is the reason why I like wanted to talk to you and sort of bring Offset into the craft collective, right? Like, so it's funny. I can't tell if listeners to this conversation are going to sense that or if you're trying to be more laid back right now than I think you actually are when it comes to beer. I don't know. And you're like, oh, yeah, like it should all just disappear. And yet when we were in the back and you're going through in pretty painstaking detail, like this is stupid. We shouldn't even do like brew this way but we do because we think it's the right thing to do but it makes us kind of insane actually maybe i should just ask you about what you were talking about at that point yeah well i think i think there's uh oftentimes there is the idea around there's two ways of looking at beer you know there's there's people that we kind of we take the menu we take the word offset and we essentially divide it in half so we have off and we have set. And that's kind of how we decide we divide the menu. So we have like one-offs, which essentially are hoppy beers that are meant to be really expressive, uh, 
create all these flavors and aromas that are different, that are unique, and that side of the menu is constantly changing. It's really the creative aspect of our brand. And then we take the word set, and that's the other half of the menu. And those are those are what we call, yeah, our set beers, which we name them after the style. There's no creative names behind them. If you see the the um, the labels on the cans, they're they're very clean, very simple. That this we just name them after the style, and and we also call them kind of beer flavored beer, but. Those are those are the ones that are kind of meant to disappear, you know. Like yeah, yes, yeah. if you're if you're a nerd and you and you know a lot about like brewing, and you can you can obsess over those, like because maybe you understand how difficult they are to make. But for the for the average person who just wants, they just want to come in and have a beer. Like they 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 don't want that that uh, extreme. I shouldn't say extreme, but they don't want that like experience they they just want something that's like comforting and they yeah. want something that's easy to drink that like again disappears it just it enables it, again it enables a conversation it um yeah you don't have to think about it if you don't want to you just it's just simple and easy to to enjoy so you despite the fact that i i'm actually arguing now <laughs> That you are not that casual when it comes to beer. You want someone to be able to come in and have a very casual experience. They're having a beer with some friends or whatever, and they might not think about the beer at all. They have a nice time. Mm -hmm. You want to kind of present a range of beverages that would satisfy the most casual drinker. Mm -hmm who may, maybe it's one of those times where it's just about catching up with old friends and you're having laughs and like the let you don't need the beer to become an academic study. Mm -hmm. But I think you also want, I don't know if you want them or not actually, but the person that does really know mm -hmm. would come in and if they want to come in solo mm -hmm. and really think about the product that they would be able to pick up on. Like, I think these folks are doing things with a lot of intention. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I always talk about it as like uh, peeling back the layers of the onion. Uh, you know, when it comes to the product that you make, when it comes to your brand, when it comes to everything, is like uh, we can beat you over the head with yeah. details, with process, with every all of the effort that went into stuff. But if you don't want that, I don't. You're not. Trying I don't want to you to force that. I don't want people. to force that. I gotcha. don't want the. Gotcha. So that makes more sense. So if yeah. if you come in and you literally just, I want to. I want a Kolsch. Like I want something that's really light and really easy to drink. And I don't want to think about it. We got that. Yeah. And, and that's great. Uh, if you want to nerd out about Kolsch and know all the process and how we go about brewing it and how we source uh, this really unique yeast and all that stuff, we got that too. But I don't necessarily like to lead with that. And I think I look at it as the best, oftentimes the best brands, um, out there, at least that I respect, that's kind of their attitude. It's like, we have all of that, all that exists, but that can be really alienating to a lot of people, especially the person that just wants something that's simple. They just want a refreshing beverage because mm -hmm. it's a hot day or they've had a long day at work or whatever. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of try and, you know, kill a lot of birds because with, with essentially one stone and especially with the lager beer, the beer flavored beer, the set beers, whatever you want to call it, like, that those those are the ways for us to demonstrate our craft because those are the hardest beers to make but those oftentimes too are also the beers that 70 percent of the people just want to drink you know like i mean lager beer is the most popular beer in the world for a reason um there's someone uh 
a, a very well-known brewer from Denver said, I think lager is on like a couple hundred year winning streak, mm. you know, mm. in, in all reality. So, and it's cool. I think lager beer has really become, come around in craft beer. It is kind of what is, I think what is popular now. And yeah, we like to brew them because it does allow us to show our chops kind of, cause there is nowhere for anything to hide, but mm-hmm. it also meets the needs of a lot of people that walk in the door. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, getting back to how you're a bit of a tyrant, because that all made you sound like the everyman, and I want to out you more. Um, I don't think you ever addressed the no flights. Oh, yeah, yeah. How come it, you have a sign that literally says, what does it say? You're looking at it. Sorry, no flights, no whining about no flights. Yeah. yeah. Why no flights? Uh, either a huge pain in the ass uh, to serve, to clean the glassware for the bartenders, but also, first and foremost, it's more about again trying to trying to um, having respect for beer and having respect for the products that we make. And if you're presented with five different beers in front of you, small, you know, say two to four four ounce pours of five different beers in front of you, and you go from a sour beer to a pilsner to a hoppy beer yeah. to a dark beer it totally screws the perception of every single beer in front of you. And oftentimes you're taking one sip of one and one sip of the next and one sip of the one. And you really don't, you don't truly get to experience the beer itself. Um, beer, it's amazing how beer can change in the glass. Like as it warms up, as carbonation comes Mm -hmm. out of solution, like the drinking experience really changes. I mean, we try and steer people to getting the largest pour, um, that they can, because we really feel it is a true with it, it, live with it. yeah, Yeah. It's a true experience of the product. You know, as as a, I, I understand though that as a new brewery, a small brewery, people are often scared. You know, like they 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 they've been burned. They've mm-hmm. you know, especially with a with a with a new brewery, that maybe they're not going to like this, or maybe there's a flaw in this, and and especially for a new customer, they don't want to commit to doing a full pour of something. So we do offer uh, half pours, which are like just over six ounces of beer but we we chose that size because we feel like it is a good representation of the beer it does allow the beer to warm up a little bit it does allow the beer to change and it it does let people kind of focus a little bit um unfortunately so often people just want to just want to have as many options and check as many boxes and what we call tick you know try as many beers as possible and Mm -hmm. check as many beers in on untapped as possible and but unfortunately you just don't get to experience the beer itself so you know what i just thought of right now while you were talking and i know i've been calling you a tyrant i'll i'll take some uh (laughs) take some of the tyranny billing on myself here at our blister summit we just specifically tell people you're kind of not allowed to just do like one run or two runs on a pair of skis like don't do it Mm. like that is something we say up front before Mm -hmm. like at the start of the summit Mm -hmm. for it's kind of exactly this reason Mm -hmm. and i kind of had not put that together till right now Mm. but same thing like i mean i've been railing against the like one run ski test for literally you know about 12 years now Mm -hmm. but it's the same thing like you don't get to do one run and then pronounce that thing amazing or terrible mm-hmm. like go live with it mm-hmm. yeah i feel like you calling me a tyrant is, is as my grandfather kind. would say like the pot <laughs> calling the kettle black 
Those who live in glass houses should not throw stones, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, I, we came around to that. I, yeah, yep. I think we got there. Yeah, but it's all about it's all about the experience, and it's all about trying to like maximize. Like we put a lot of time and effort into these beers. It's all about trying to m- make sure that the do doing what we can to make sure that the experience for the customer is the best that we can. Um, and a lot of times, people don't really like being told what to do, but. Uh, I think the best places, the places at least I'm drawn to, like the brands that I'm drawn to, yeah. drawn to, like they tell people what to do. 100%. Like they have an ethos, they have a philosophy, they have a reason behind doing. And I think as long as, and, and you know, our approach is generally people see the sorry, no flights, so whining about no flights. Ninety percent of the people come in here and laugh. Do they? Yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah. is the reaction? Yeah, you, get? And, and, you know, I think a lot of times people think it's a Utah thing. It's actually not a Utah uh, thing. Uh, um, but we always have an explanation, and the explanation is always about quality. It's always about the experience. It's yeah. always about really trying to make sure that that you are in, you are you know enjoying the the product to to its highest le- level, essentially. Hmm. So. Uh, I think as soon as we we get that across to people, then they understand and they're like, okay, cool, that makes sense, you mm-hmm. know. So I think one of the very cool things that is going to happen through this whole Blister Craft Collective and this Crafted Podcast, like I have been thinking a lot about like what makes one brand kind of a craft brand or craft company and like what is artisanal, right? Like <laughs> in a way, anybody making anything. Couldn't that sort of be construed as artisanal? Like, where do the parameters lie uh, as we think about these things? And and probably the answer is there is no single correct answer, right? But I think for me personally, that, you know, kind of what we're talking about, like brands that are just like, yeah, don't do that, or Mm -hmm. we don't do that. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it doesn't hold up in every case, but I think a willingness to draw lines in the sand mm-hmm. and define principles and philosophies mm-hmm. is probably a pretty key element. And maybe it doesn't mean you're totally in the craft camp or artisanal or something, but mm-hmm. I don't know, like have stuff you're passionate about and you believe in and explain mm-hmm. like, this is why we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't believe in that. And somebody else can, and that's cool, mm-hmm. but we don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think when I was, when I was cu- trying to think about this brand and come up yeah. with this whole concept is just literally seeing myself as a consumer and thinking about myself as a consumer and like what I was drawn to and the brands I was drawn to and the people I was drawn to and, and the people I wanted to listen to and the, the beers I wanted to go explore when I traveled were the people that had, they're like, this is, this is why we do it. This is what we do. This is why we do it. We chose to do it this way where we, they don't want to be everything to everyone. You know what I mean? They, they want to do, I think there's just so much homogenous bullshit that it's vanilla. It's, it's just not inspiring. And I think I was always at least inspired by the people that, yeah, wanted to take a stance that wanted to do something unique, um, that wanted to, yeah, had, had an ethos and a reason yeah. for what they did. And I think also when you go experience those, the products that they make, um, it is a better overall experience as well. Like they, they definitely care and they put a lot of time and effort into doing things a specific way for a specific reason. And nine times out of 10, the product that they create is a better overall product. Um, I think at least, and that's just was really inspirational for us, um, here. And yeah, it's kind of why we do certain things the way we do. And I think, uh, I think people respect it. I think, I think people get it. What do you, you mean? Know? Did you just get humble all of a sudden? No, like, I mean, what I, kind I, of response? 
have you seen so far? Well, it's, you know, you know, when you, I, I feel like it's rare. That it's kind of rare, maybe especially where we live here, where you get told what to do. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you can't, as a customer, you walk in and you just can't do whatever you want. You know uh-huh. what I mean? There are rules, but the rules are based on the product itself and the, the experience and the quality. And so sometimes the reaction to people is interesting. And, but honestly, that's kind of what I was going for a little bit is, is creating a reaction. Yeah. You know, like if you look at this place, you look at it from the outside, especially it's a pretty crappy cinder block building with pretty, with almost no signage. And your I think your expectations are maybe relatively low mm-hmm. when you look at the building or the business from the outside and you walk in the door and it's, it's yeah. interesting. It's always a, you, it's an unexpected experience. Huh. And that I think is a lot of the goal of this business was to create that unexpected experience, like to create, you know, you walk in the front door and it instantly puts you in the right mindset. You're like, Oh, this is, this looks different than what I was expecting, or this is not what I was expecting walked in the door. So people instantly have this kind of like curiosity or it puts them in the right mindset or the right on the right foot where we can, uh, they almost like, not that they, not that people want to be told, but they're almost like open to an experience where, uh, where we have the ability to talk about more about what we do. It is now midnight. We're still here at Offset. I have finished my dark lager, but I'm not done with you. So I think we need to pour one more, you know, small glass of something what should we go to? Ne- well, I think next we're going to go to water, little palate cleanser. Then what should we go to? Uh, we have this beer called Stivet that I think would be a great, a great <laughs> next Stivet. Great next step. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Stivet is, uh, you know, it's a, we, we live here in Park City. Uh, obviously a lot of kind of ski racing heritage here. I grew up ski racing and Stivet is a, yeah, it's a ski racing term. So it's a combination of the word steering and pivot. Um, and it's, I think it's, I think it's a cool word. Like mm-hmm. people like to say it. It's amazing how many people can't pronounce it. It's, we definitely get stivot or stevo. Stevo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we actually put on the menu how to pronounce it. Um, but come on park city, <laughs> but it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, you know, and the, I think the name kind of goes with the beer itself. We call it a modern hoppy lager. So it's, uh, it's a beer that we make with like traditional, log- um, Pilsner kind of ingredients. So German, German malt, uh, noble hops in the kettle and but then we hop it in the whirlpool and then we dry hop it with modern hop varieties so uh, this is the second batch uh, this one is uh, Motueka from New Zealand and this new hop called Vista which is the um, newest uh, public uh, variety grown by the USDA hmm. um, the newest public variety grown yeah, so by hops, the USDA so hops are, so hops are um, there's a lot of basically proprietary hops that are grown that are essentially uh trademarked and grown by individuals by companies the best hops that you know uh, mosaic citra um and then there's a there's a the usda has a number of publicly grown varieties essentially where anyone can grow the variety anywhere in the u.s Hmm. uh cashmere uh centennial simcoe chinook columbus uh, yada 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 the list goes on and on but this is the newest one that they released this past year uh, called Vista so yeah hmm. so it's a it's a uh, dry refreshing 
beer that kind of drinks like a pills, but has more like kind of modern hop character. So more like expressive, modern, fruity. Uh, there's a lot of Motueka is notorious for adding a lot of lime character. So like a kind of lemon lime, uh, yeah, character to the beer. So wow, yeah. Okay, give us a second. We're gonna go pour this. We'll be right back. Hang on. Okay, and we're back. Um, so basically, this beer tastes like everything, is what I just heard from your last description of it. Because <laughs> um, when you started saying lime, now I'm thinking like cervezas, like Mexican lagers. Yeah, it's more of like a it's more of like a floral lime character. Uh, but yeah, that hop from New Zealand, Motueka, is notorious for being really limey, kind of. So it's like a, it's sort of like a modern, refreshing, yes, yeah, spin on a traditional lager beer, basically. By the way, we haven't done this yet. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Um, sorry, I should have done that like an hour ago. <laughs> That's super drinkable. Yeah. Refreshing. It has mm. enough bitterness to kind of cleanse the palate. Um, definitely, you know, we, I think especially in, in beer now, this, this whole movement of like against bitterness, but we're, we're pretty pro bitterness here uh, to be perfectly honest. Like I, it, it really, I think, I think I heard someone say like, people don't really, uh, know that they appreciate bitterness. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. it, it's, it's almost like a negative connotation. Like, oh, it's bitter. It's, it's, I'm not going to enjoy it, but there's a certain level of bitterness that is required to make the beer more drinkable. Like you need to have that kind of, it helps to cleanse the palate. It helps to make the beer refreshing. It helps make you want to have another sip. It, it really brightens the beer. It, it really makes it drinkable. A lot of times when there isn't enough bitterness, the beer can come off as a little flabby or can just come off as just, I don't know, just not refreshing enough. So we're, 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 we're definitely. You're choosing the word refreshing, not refreshing enough as opposed to like not interesting enough because like i think of like you know what's not bitter like a slurpee Mm -hmm. and you know first sip last sip same but Mm -hmm. i'm not sure if you get your 72 ounce big gulp Mm -hmm. like you only need like a couple sips and then you're like i'm good Mm -hmm. yeah um but you think refreshing is the term not like interesting yeah, because I, I think it, it uh, bitterness has a uh, an effect on so many so many things. Not only flavor, but also um, yeah, consumption and how how easy or difficult something is to consume when bitterness is too high, especially for a lot of people. Uh, it makes the beer hard to drink, and I mean, everyone always the number of people we get in here that say, "Oh, I don't like hoppy beer," right? You know, because that's uh, old hoppy. Beer, it's right? old hoppy beer, exactly. Yeah. Where it was all about bitterness. Yeah. Now hoppy beer is all about aroma, all about flavor, and so it's amazing when you hand be like, "Oh, I don't like hoppy beer," and then you hand somebody a, a more modern, ex, new school kind of execution of hoppy beer, and they're like, "Oh, wow, it's not really that bitter, and it's really flavorful and really aromatic." So, yeah, we we actually we probably bitter we add a little more bitterness to our beers than than maybe. Um, some other breweries do, but we just think it, it, when you get it right, it really makes the beer more enjoyable and easier to drink and refreshing and just brighter oftentimes as well. Let's talk a little bit more about like your approach to brewing, right? We've kind of touched on some elements of it, but I think what you've just said is a nice segue into that. 
Um, if someone's like, I did that intentionally, (laughs) this guy's a pro. Um, (laughs) let's talk about that. Right. If somebody's like, okay, but all right, I've heard this yada yada, but what else should I know about how you all are doing things at offset? Um, well, first and foremost, I should mention my partner, actually, Patrick, um, Patrick Bork is his name, who is, he's the brewer. Uh, honestly, like I actually don't really brew. Uh, I actually brewed my first commercial batches this week cause he was a little under the weather, but, um, I knew as a, I, 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 I was a home brewer. I, I didn't, I was not a professional brewer. Um, as much as I like to think that I knew and could replicate, I was replicating what we do here at home. There's still a lot of things that when it comes to making things professionally and being able to repeat them and do them mm-hmm. on a larger scale that I realized I didn't, I didn't know, nor did I have the bandwidth to learn as far as opening a business, <laughs> opening a business and learning how to do all sorts of the other things associated with opening a small business. Um, which is where really where Patrick comes into play. We, we very much have a, a similar ethos and philosophy and interest in the, in beers, but he has been a professional brewer for 10 years, was the head brewer at the largest brewery here in the state. Um, and was really fortunate f- to have him come work with me as a partner because he knew how to do all the things I didn't know forwards about in his sleep like he he mm-hmm. could do it's it's old hat to him and and we're fortunate that we're on the same page as far as like what we want to do and how how the beers we want to make and how we want to make them and so yeah he he is he's the reason why the beers are coming out the way they were and I, you know i knew like i wanted to be able to stand behind the bar because i was the one serving the beer you know especially when we first opened like i wanted to be able to look people in the eye and be really confident and really stoked on the products we were making and he is the reason for that he is really the the critical aspect of that because he knew how to execute it at a professional level you know consistently much more so than than i did so yeah, I think our philosophy is uh, we're, we're really – it sounds kind of stupid for – especially for how small we are, um, but we're really trying to make world-class beer. Like we are really – the product, I think, again, from this, the ski side of things, from everything we talk about, like product is the most important thing. Yeah. You know, you can't – you, marketing only gets you so far. If the product isn't, isn't there, then what are you doing? You know what I mean? You're, you're never going to get – that far. So we, we are really, 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 really focused on the beer and trying to make the best beer that we can within our means. Within, you know, it, it is a tiny space. Uh, we have a lot of used equipment that I pieced together over a couple years, um, but with the, the emphasis on spending the money on the things that were really important. So we brew with steam, which is really inefficient from a three and a half, but the amount of beer that we make, no one uses steam, but for us it was really important so we could make the beer we wanted to make a steam is a gentler way to, to brew beer. Uh, but it also allows us to step, step mash our beers, which is really important to the foam, how the beer presents the drinkability. And then, yeah, we, we could, we have a full RO system here. The water here in park city is notoriously, uh, not that great, especially for making beer. So we have a full reverse osmosis system so we can strip all of the minerals out of the beer. And, and, and then each beer essentially gets, its own water profile um, built from scratch. Every beer is different with the idea of you can, it's amazing how uh, different from a textural standpoint, from a flavor standpoint, the manipulation you can do with water when it comes to adding minerals back to the water to create certain aspects uh, of the beer. So every beer, almost every beer gets a different profile with different goals in mind, essentially. Can you uh, give like an example 
like when you say with different goals in mind, we're talking about changing the composition of water. Yeah. So, I mean, water, you know, water is 95% of the ingredients, obviously. And it's the largest yeah, aspect of the beer. And there are certain minerals that have a different impact on how, again, we talk about the palate, like how the beer kind of goes across your palate or how you, there's calcium, the two most popular calcium sulfate and calcium chloride. Calcium sulfate is known to have like almost a drying effect, like a tingling effect. It can almost like, uh, it can sort of, sort of replicate uh, carbonation a little bit, or it, it allows you to do different things with carbonation because calcium sulfate can kind of have that similar effect. Whereas calcium chloride tends to lengthen things on the palate, doesn't have that drying effect, and it tends to um, add a little, maybe a perceived sweetness almost, just because of how it's perceived in your in your mouth essentially. But then there's all sorts of other minerals that maybe that we add to certain beers that have other aspects that come to create like fullness on the palate, especially when we're talking about making 5% beers and we're taking, mm -hmm. we're talking about mm -hmm. trying to amplify a 5% beer and make something drink bigger than it's ABV. Gotcha. There's other minerals you can add that really help to make something feel a little fuller. It almost like helps to mimic alcohol a little bit. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, every, yeah, every beer, there's a different, there's a, there's a different, uh, water profile for almost every beer with a different goal in mind, depending on the beer and what we're trying to do, how dry it's going to be essentially. Yeah. So for some reason in it, you know, again, it's 95% of the ingredients. You think water would be the most important thing. Oftentimes in brewing, it's the last thought mm. and because it, it can be confusing, it can be intimidating sometimes. Um, but for, at least for me, I, I, even as a homebrewer, I never brewed a beer uh, without building a water profile, without either using reverse osmosis water or manipulating my water from home because, yeah, again, it's 95% of the product. It, it's the most important aspect and, and it has the biggest impact in my – one of the biggest impacts, especially on when it comes to drinkability, when it comes to the overall like, enjoyable aspect of the beer. So, yeah. Okay. So we've talked about water. And kind of an overall approach and ethos, but um, what else should we know about how you approach the brewing process? Um, well, I, I wouldn't say maybe it's it's maybe as much about the process as it is like, you know, trying to create identity for your brand or the products that you make. Um, there's 9,000 breweries in the United States. Do you think um, that's a current number, 9,000? That's got to be pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah it's pretty much impossible to be original. Everything's been done. Uh, but I think trying to look within your, at least your region or your area and how can you create things that maybe have identity or things that separate you or things that make you unique. And that comes to, I don't know, there, there's just a lot of, especially in craft beer, there's like a lot of things that everyone does. Like everyone uses certain yeasts and certain malts and certain, because the, the goal is like trying to create, like people have this, this idea in their mind of like trying to create the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a, there's a target and you're just, you're just, everyone's trying to do the same thing and create that. Like what is, what is the, the ideal IPA or whatever, whatever the ideal Pilsner or whatever that is. And a lot of that comes down to, uh, a lot of us started as as home brewers or a lot of people, you know, are really into to competitions and like trying to brew something to style. Yeah. You know what I mean? To like 
it's it fits a definition it yeah. fits within a box and as we do that as well like we definitely um i think more with the kind of the set beers but uh yeah trying to like source ingredients trying to source yeast trying to source hops that are different that are unique that help us create a, a point of differentiation amongst the other breweries in our in our area essentially not that it's better not that it's worse it's just it's different trying to create an identity trying not to do the same thing we definitely we use for our pilsner beers we use malt that's very a really old school you know 200 year old maltster from germany that not many that many breweries in the united states use um, we use a yeast a lager yeast that i don't think anyone in this general area uses we are very fortunate to have access to way better hops than we would ever have access to as a brewery our size, just mm. through some relationships we've created in the industry mm. that we're very fortunate. And I think that's one thing that people really do, a lot of times don't really understand is like the hops are a natural product. They can be amazing and hot garbage. <laughs> I think you mean amazing or hot garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and or uh, <laughs> oftentimes it's it's shocking. I mean, it is a natural product. Obviously, you know we've we've had some pretty crazy uh, fires over the last couple of years in the Pacific yeah. Northwest. The smoke can huh. um, do all sorts of huh. all sorts of damage. Not only do the hops literally smell potentially smell and taste like smoke, um, those those end up getting destroyed. But also just the smoke essentially covering up the sun and the sun has, it's a, it's a plant, you know, this, that the plants need the sun in order to create those aromas, those flavors, everything that we love about those hops. And when the, the sun gets clouded by smoke or covered up by smoke, a lot of times those hops don't get to develop all the oils and flavors and aromas and everything that we, we know. So yeah, you know, this is, we are a hobby, definitely a hobby beer brewery and we, we do everything we can to try and source the best hops that we possibly can and exhaust every, every aspect or every possibility that we can, because it is amazing how different they can be. And, and as a small brewery, when you don't, you have no buying power, uh, you oftentimes just get the kind of, you get what you get, you know, you have, uh, no, ability to go select things or to go to choose things that might be better or might be worse. And thank God we, we do have some connections with some people that do get to do those things. And so I, I think we've done a really good job of like kind of separating ourselves, at least for a brewery, our size of being able to offer people, especially with hop forward beers that like, that's the main ingredient. Like that's the, that's the thing that's going to blow people's mind or make them love or hate a product when it's, when it's an IPA or it's a double IPA, whatever, you know, especially nowadays, those things are packed to the gills with hops. And when you pack that beer to the gills with hops and those hops suck, that beer is going to be extra shitty, you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 yep. to put it point blank. <laughs> but, That's pretty point blank. But if you do have the ability to – because we're – I mean, breweries now are adding so many hops. So it's crazy the amount of hops um, people are adding to beer. And yeah, when you can, when you're fortunate enough to, to get those, uh, hops that are, that are not, that are good, that maybe the larger breweries have access to, um, yeah, it really, it makes a huge difference in the, in the end product. So we do everything we can to try and source the best hops we can and fortunate enough that we've, we've been able to do that so far. So yeah, just, you know, trying to create a unique identity for our brand, our beer within the space that we operate in. Um, is something we think about a lot and something that we, yeah, I think is important. So, 
here's the deal. It's now about 12.30 a.m. I have some other kind of big topics that I wanted to hit with you. We're just going to say we're going to do this again. What I would like to do the next time, I'm going to come either on the run, the community run, or I don't know if I can crash the women's Tuesday bike you ride. Can't, yeah, you can't do the Tuesday can't do night, that, but you can but do the I, Thursday night ride. Okay, so yep. I can. the run is Wednesday? Runs, runs, yep, we do runs. Uh, we run like... There's a trail option. There's a road, and there's two different road options. Okay. We start at the brewery at six. Uh, we run generally 45 minutes to an hour, depending what you do. Yep. Everyone comes back here to the brewery. I buy everybody pizza. People eat free pizza, and then um, yeah, have some beers and chat about things. Life. Okay. Yeah. So Wednesday, if I if I'm back on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. I'm on the run. If mm-hmm. it's Thursday, I'm on the ride bike mm-hmm. ride. Yep. Okay. And if somehow this. I don't make it. I'm going to be back in Park City before it's snowing. But do we know when the skins are during the winter? Uh, I mean, as soon as the mountain allows uphill traffic, yeah. we start, we do the skins. So usually it's Thursday nights, you know, probably beginning in December, um, 5.30 or 6 o'clock. I think we moved it a little bit later just so we could get, we, it's amazing how many people we would get come up from Salt Lake actually. And yeah, we, I think uh, the last one we did at the end of March, we, I think we had almost 70 people uh, wow. show up for the skin, which was really cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's fun. It's, it's no, uh, yeah, just a bunch of people going all different speeds, congregating at the top, maybe or maybe not having a beer at the top of the skin and then coming back here for, for food and, and fun afterwards. So, huh. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll get that experience next time and I'll ask you some of the questions that I had on tap for us tonight. But I do have a few more questions for you and we'll kind of wrap up with some of this. I'd love to hear you talk about a particular brewery that has been an inspiration to you. And I don't know if that would be something quite recent or if that's something that dates back a long time, but what comes to mind? Uh, Yeah, this is actually, uh, this is an easy question for me because it's something I thought about a lot. Uh, In 2018, in the fall, I think in the fall of 2018, uh, I did a little beercation on the East Coast. And Mm -hmm. one of my first stops was this place called Suarez Family Brewery in in the Hudson Valley in New York. Um, And they had recently opened maybe... I don't know, maybe eight, eight to 10 months, uh, before, but the, the brewer there, the owner had a, a track record at, of being a brewer at another very famous, very well-known brewery. But I was really drawn to them because he was only making, he was only making little beers. He was literally only making basically 5% and below beers, lots of lager beer, lots of little tiny, and no state regulations, no state regulations. But, yep. He literally chose to make these beers and you know he this was the height of craft beer when and he had the, with his previous pedigree had the ability to you know make everything that was popular and do everything that was hypey and 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 it chose not to mm-hmm. um which i thought was really cool it was the antithesis essentially of everything that was going on in craft beer and stop there Spent the night at this cool old hotel. His brother actually owns a restaurant across the street. Had dinner there. Amazing food. And then went to the brewery and was just blown away with how it was essentially the opposite of everything that was going on in craft beer. Mm. And how he purposely chose to do what he wanted to do. 
you know, I'm, I'm only going to make 5% or below beers, these cr- crushable little hobby beers, lager beers. And it was just blown away. And obviously thinking about opening a brewery in a state that's regulated by 5% beer and how just thinking about like what it was that me as a consumer, then why was I drawn to that? You know, like what was it about how he presented the beers, how he talked about the beers, the beers themselves, like, why was, why was I drawn to that? Like why? Yeah. And, and, and it was just an interesting, um, for me, just like an interesting, uh, deep dive kind of into, into their, into his brand and, and how he did such a great job of speaking about process, about ingredients, about the communal aspect of beer, about, presentation of beer about foam about all these other things that i really really hadn't heard someone speak about yeah. before or maybe speak about with that reverence yeah. before um and it literally it was probably the singular most impactful mm-hmm. m- moment in my life when it came to beer especially when it came to like trying to think about a brand and beers that we would make um and it really like almost caused a, a sh- complete shift in how i looked at beer and thought about beer. Yeah. And it, it was very impactful. And I remember driving away that day. I'm like, man, I don't, I really shouldn't be driving away from here. I literally should be spending, you know, more time here. Mm. Um, but it's just cool. Just someone that just did their own thing for very specific reasons and quality of beer was first and foremost, but also, yeah, had an ethos and had a reason for doing things and had, yeah, just bucked the trends, I guess. And, and, and I think, people were drawn to and they're very they're very successful very humble very still very small but i think people have a, a huge respect for yeah for him for their brand for their beers for how he went to uh, approaching all that uh, stuff so yeah that's it's actually something i've thought about a lot and it had a huge impact on how we think about beer how we present beer uh, everything so hmm. yeah interesting yeah i'd love to know if we remove from consideration like the whole brewing category that you're living and working in what other category of craft product are you kind of drawn to or maybe it's your favorite other category of craft or the category you sort of spend the most time checking out mm-hmm. what comes to mind on that front yeah i'm so, i'm so buried deep in beer <laughs> that oftentimes I don't uh, open my eyes to things outside of it. But I think over the last couple of years, I've been really in, uh, intrigued by this idea of, of natural wine, which I know is kind of like sort of an all-encompassing term that can mean a lot of different things. But um, I think I'd never really been, I, I was never really drawn to wine or maybe I was turned off by wine a little bit. Just it, it's sort of in, in my mind, uh, it had this, I don't know, this like kind of pretentiousness to it or which is not necessarily justified, but it's just kind of what I looked yeah. at it as. But you and then, saw yeah. And then, and then to, to kind of learn about this whole idea of like really natural winemaking or low intervention winemaking or um, really like, you know, the idea of letting the yeast that lives on the grapes ferment the, ferment the wine um, and this idea of like, I always looked at wine as this is like very polished thing, this very like, um, 
I don't know. It, it just, it didn't have, it, it just, it was very presentable, very polished, very defined, I guess. And this idea of, of natural wine or low intervention wine or whatever you want to call it, it, it presented wine in a very different light. Like this, it had rough, it had rough edges, intentionally had rough edges. It maybe wasn't perfectly clear. It maybe wasn't, it had, I think what a lot of times people would consider flaws, uh, maybe it was cloudy or there was yeast in the bottle or it was maybe a little fizzy or there was Britannomyces character to it, which there's a lot of tie-ins to beer. There's a lot of tie-ins to wild beer or sour beer or mixed fermentation beer. And I, I'd never really explored that at all. And I had a friend who kind of kind of opened my eyes a little bit to it and said, oh, well, there's all this other stuff out here that maybe you as a brewer, because you you know a little bit more about this from a brewing standpoint, this might be interesting to you with wine. And definitely I, I haven't explored it enough and definitely am not, do not consider myself educated at all, but it's something that's been kind of eye opening to me to explore this aspect of wine that is almost the complete opposite. I think what a lot of people think of maybe huh. when they think of wine, huh. um, these, yeah, beers that almost, I think a lot of people would think of as flawed, but if you know a little bit more about the process and the, the backstory or how they're made, uh, it almost becomes a little bit more interesting and, and you learn to like almost embrace those flaws or not think of them as flaws, but embrace them as, as like character yeah. or uh, points of differentiation. Um, and unfortunately we don't have a lot of really good access to it here in Utah, but whenever I travel, especially I go to Jackson hole a bunch, there's a great, uh, great, there's a couple of great places that have a nice selection of natural wine there or low intervention wine, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, I always bring some home and, uh, it's a very different experience. And I think I really kind of embrace that, like that idea of a different experience, that idea of like creating something that maybe people have like a certain connotation for for something when you say something that there's a there's a connotation to it and the people that can create those things that maybe totally blow that connotation out of the water or create something that maybe has the same name it, it is called wine but from a from a sensory perspective mm. uh, maybe a production perspective it's completely different and so i think that i would say that would be that would be the thing i, I think that i've explored the most when it comes to something that's crafted or handmade uh, in a similar space. Hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. Hey man, this has been fun. Yeah. Glad we could do it. Yeah. Uh, this is cool. <laughs> what, what's our time? We're, uh, we're, we're getting near 1am. Uh, it's got some good days work. Yeah. On a Sunday night. On a yeah. Sunday night, man. Uh, it's really cool to hear what's been going on since you opened the doors at offset about 10 ish months ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. Man. Yep. This place is going to pop off. I mean, <laughs> so I hope you figure that out. It's it's not a large space. It's a very cool space. So congratulations on the growth problems that I predict for you. Thank you. Good problems to have. Still problems. Still, and still problems. Still problems. Um, but yeah, for anybody coming into Salt Lake or Park City, uh, if you like good beer it's worth a stop i promise you and uh i think the story is all the more interesting given again some of the complexities and and rules and restrictions in this state and i know we i don't know that you actually said this but we were talking earlier about like you know some folks that you know were like we want to have a legit brewery in utah to come to 
and this is on the list. Um, this is on the list. So for you beer heads out there, it's called Offset. You can find it on Google Maps. What are? How do you prefer? Do you like to just give out an address? Do you tell people to go to a website? What? How do you like people to connect? Yeah, our uh, our signage is pretty terrible. I like it, but uh, I definitely almost drove past you. There's most people. Yeah, it's we make it a little bit more difficult to find. <laughs> we are a little a little off the beaten path in town, but off the beaten path. But yeah, so Instagram would probably be the best way for uh, to find us. Offset beer, but keep in mind we spell beer with an I. Because you're weird. Because we're weird, and the whole the one liner for the brewery is we're a, a hop for brewery with a nod to tradition, and that nod to tradition is kind of surmised by that B I E R spelling, which is a little more traditional kind of German uh, European spelling of beer. So yeah, Offset Beer I would say on Instagram is the best. It's the most updated. Uh, the more fun stuff happens, it's the better uh, uh, kind of look into to what we've got going on for sure. Hmm. Well, appreciate it, man. And uh, I look forward to my next trip here, and we'll uh, we'll do this again. And yeah, see, and see how you're doing. And like I said, get to some of those other topics, some big ones um, that I think will be really cool to go over, get your perspective on, and and uh, you know, hopefully inform some folks listening to this about some other elements of just the craft in general. And, and uh, so I look forward to round two. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. It was great. Yeah. Great to catch up. Awesome. Cool. Well, that then brings us to the end of this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Connor for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And do be sure to follow Offset Beer on Instagram. You can also check out their website and their offerings at offsetbeer.com. Just remember, people, we're spelling beer, B-I-E-R, here. So Offset Beer on the social channels and their website. All right, and we will be back next week with a phenomenal episode that I recorded in Stowe, Vermont. And actually, yeah, this is all thanks to Connor Brown, who made this suggestion that I stop in to meet some very special people who are doing very cool things in Stowe, Vermont. So come back next week for that one where we're going to be talking about natural wines. It's a good one. We'll talk to you next week.